would also like to turn your attention to the passage that we are going to be unpacking today together. It is Psalm 116. We've been in the Psalms um, for the, well, last week, and then for a few weeks, we're going to be camping out in the Psalms, which I love because I love the Psalms. Um, So we're going to read this together again in a Bible or on your smart device if you want to follow along or just listen. I'm going to read this to you. Psalm 116. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol had laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest. For the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. In the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem, praise the Lord, the word of God for the people of God. Well, good morning. My name is Jacob Beach. I'm one of the pastors here at Scarlet City. And this morning I'll be preaching from this stool. Uh, It's not my preference, but most of you who know me know that uh, I have some back issues and um, I've even shown up at the church on a Sunday morning before with a cane so that's uh, something that happens. Uh, so I'm, a, I'm 30 years old, going on 80. And so with this back, I covet your prayers this morning. Uh, uh, the only thing I can't do is just stand comfortably. So it's, it's not too crazy. Uh, but that leads us, that leads us right into our sermon topic for this morning, which is Psalm 116, our scripture, which Jenny just read for us. And we're going to go through a couple of psalms this summer. Last week, Pastor Jay talked about God's word and how uh, it reveals that God is for us. It reveals God as for our flourishing and our joy and our fulfillment. And the book of Psalms is a it, 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 it's, a, it's a chapter book with 150 chapters of songs and poems that convey different stories. Stories of God's people and their experiencing of different situations and times in life, both good and bad. It's an exploration of what it looks like to worship God in the midst of all kinds of various life circumstances. And it's been said that there is not a human emotion, there's not a human emotion that cannot be found in the book of Psalms. 
And what we're going to look at this morning is Psalm 116, and specifically, how do we love God? How do we trust God in the midst of difficult life circumstances? Does our love and our worship and our gratitude towards God change or look different in the midst of differing conditions? And I think these are important questions for us to ask ourselves this morning as we each each one of us here are experiencing different seasons of life. We can go through times of feeling like we're blessed, right? Like we're experiencing fulfillment, we're experiencing uh, uh, great things with our relationships, our jobs, our faith, everything feels good. And then we can also go through times of feeling down, of feeling like nothing is really working out that well. And everyone, I believe, goes through many of these different seasons, And there's different ways of handling what's going on inside of us or around us. And I think that this naturally, very naturally, affects the ways that we relate to ourselves. It affects the ways that we relate to others. And it affects the ways that we relate to God. But all of it, all of our emotions, all of our feelings, all of our experiences, all of the seasons that we go through, it's all part of our stories. Who you are is a story. Loving God and worshiping God can look differently in different chapters in the story of your life. Let me give two examples from my own life. First is from the summer, late summer of 2017. I was finishing up my seminary degree in North Carolina, and Ashley and I desperately wanted to move back to Ohio. We had two babies on the way, and uh, we had had another job offer. A job offer uh, at a different church had just fallen through for me. And so I was basically making cold calls to anyone that I knew in Columbus, anything that I knew about that was going on in Columbus. And I had never been to Scarlet City before. And I had only talked to Pastor Jay maybe one time, uh, uh, playing basketball once or twice. And so I, I decide I call him out of the blue, and I say, you know, what's going on? What's going on at Scarlet City? You know, you got, any, uh, got anything going on? Any jobs, maybe? Any, uh, anything to let me know about? And, and he, says, he says to me, you know, within the first 10 or 15 minutes we're talking, he says, you know, we don't have a position available or any money to hire anyone. And I was like, that's fine. That's, that's great. You know, I wasn't expecting much. Can you point me in the right direction, right? Can you point me uh, where to look? Maybe uh, people that you know. And so we get to talking. Uh, we're getting to know one another. And I, and I didn't expect Jay to just kind of, you know, give out uh, recommendations or, or anything without getting to know me first. And we were really vibing. It was going well. And uh, I'm loving everything that he's sharing about the church. And we talk again the following week and even the week after that. And I assume it's mostly him just being nice, you know, getting to know me a little bit, being helpful. So we talk again a couple weeks later, and, and he says, all right, listen, bro. He said, we can pay you $1,000 a month. And maybe if you can raise some support, we can, you know, find a place for you here. And, and we really think that you would fit in really well here. And I was like, sick. Yeah. Okay. I was on cloud nine. Okay. I tell Ashley and I'm, and I'm like, you know, we don't really have anything else going on. You know, this thing is in Columbus. We love Columbus. We want to be here. Uh, uh, we're excited about the mission and the vision and the philosophy of this church that we've never been to. Uh, and even though we've never met anyone, uh, well, we knew a handful of people that were here, but uh, we didn't know anything about the church. Hey, let's do it. So I called Jay back and I was like, all right, let's do it. And he's like, all right, like, when can you, you know, when do you want to head up this way? And I was like, I already got an apartment. We're moving, like, in two weeks. 
And that didn't scare him off, thankfully. But there was that visceral feeling, right? That visceral feeling of something working out, right? Of God opening a door that we didn't know existed, okay? And landing in a place like Scarlet City right out of school. It was pure joy, okay? It felt like God was looking at us and saying, I've got you, okay? Trust me. My prayers during that time were joyful. They were natural. You know, I was filled with thankfulness. I wanted to sing and pray and, and was experiencing, experiencing all of this encouragement. And I was ready to do anything, anything that God called us to. Now, fast forward a year from then. A year from then, we've got five-month-old twins. We haven't slept in months. We've got a hundred different issues trying to work out Medicaid coverage and all this stuff, insurance stuff for the kids. We're living tight, you know, both financially and in figuring out how is our family of five going to, like, live in this little apartment. We're stuck at home a lot, right? We've got all these, these little babies at home. And ministry at the church is going really well. It's awesome. It's really great. It was everything that, that I was hoping for. But in that point, in that season, I felt like I had about 20% of the energy that that I had had maybe in the, pre- in the previous year. Things didn't feel the same way that they did before. It didn't feel like walking in God's blessing. It didn't feel like deliverance. We weren't living in community the way that we wanted to. We, we weren't worshiping together as a family. My prayers were mostly of complaint and frustration. I was asking God, why had you brought us here just to crush us with this physical and emotional exhaustion. Now, both of these stories are from the same person. They're from me. They're from my life. And these stories from my life are are stories of what my faith has looked like in the midst of differing circumstances. And so as we turn our attention to the text this morning, I want each of us to consider our own lives. Consider the season that you're living in. Consider, in particular, how do I respond? How can I respond to God in the midst of the circumstances that I'm currently experiencing? So let's look at the first few verses of the psalm this morning. The psalmist opens this song with a thesis statement. He says, I love the Lord. That is his thesis statement. Look at verses 1 and 2. It says, I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. It says, the psalmist loves the Lord. Why? Why does he love them? Why does he love him? Because God listens. Because God hears the voice of his people when they cry out and plead to him for mercy. Because the Lord has shown up so significantly for the author, the psalmist resolves to trust God exclusively and worship him in his life. And in these opening verses, we are getting the sense that something has happened. Something has happened to the speaker. The speaker has experienced something, walked through something. He was in a position of need and to have the Lord listen, to receive the cries, his cries of help with mercy. Let's look at verses 3 and 4 as well as 10 and 11 as it begins to paint this picture for us. 
starting in verse 3. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold of me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. And then in verse 10, I believed even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. In my alarm, all mankind are liars. The psalmist here presents a vivid picture of someone who's in a bad spot. He's remembering a time of anguish. The language here suggests that it wasn't a particularly hopeful situation. He was surrounded by the snares of death, suffering, distress, and anguish, calling out to God for deliverance. Now, we don't even know exactly who the author of this song is. We know that it's a Jewish male because of the use of uh, self-descriptive masculine nouns and pronouns. And nor do we even necessarily know the situation itself that that, that he's going through, hopelessly resigned in this situation. But we don't know the description. We don't know what happened. But we do know that it's not great. We know that in the Old Testament, in Old Testament poetry, using phrases like death or sheol, those are both very aggressive terms. They represent physical, spiritual, and emotional opposition clutching at the living, desiring to waste them away with sickness and with emotional despondency. Verse 11 here suggests to to the, the situation that there may have been a relational component as well. He said, all mankind are liars. He was perhaps betrayed. Was he uh, under severe attack from someone? Perhaps someone he knew even. And against this onslaught, the psalmist's only refuge was in the name of the Lord. The verb in verse 4 is, I called. It's an imperfect verb, meaning that it is an unfinished action. It's, It's without completion. He was calling and calling, continually calling out to the Lord in the midst of his great need. And this calling out for resolution, for deliverance, is a verb that comes up again and again in this passage in verses 2, 4, 13, and 17. We see him calling out to the Lord. And crying out to the Lord for deliverance is such a deep human emotion. And that's so much of what we want out of our faith, isn't it? To feel like we've landed somewhere safe. To feel resolute, to feel secure to have experienced such a a deep connection, a deep affection from God that we are completely satisfied and confident. We want to know that even though the world around us is out of control, that life can still feel chaotic, God is still in control, and that he is with us, walking with us, protecting us, caring for us, hearing our cries for mercy and deliverance. This is what we want. But our faith sometimes, our faith sometimes in war often looks different than our faith in times of peace. In wartime, right, when things are tough, we don't always stop and give account to the ways that God is moving in our lives. We don't remember that God is good and that he loves us. We don't worship God or trust him in the same way when we feel like we're walking in deliverance because we can feel alone, we can feel under attack, we can feel hopeless. Now, I mentioned earlier that we have two 
babies at home. I see one running around the lobby right now. And they're very skilled, okay? They're very skilled at crying. Okay, they're experts, one might even say. And they hone this skill. They've honed this skill at all hours of the day. Okay, when they're hungry, when they're teething, when they're too hot, when they're too cold, uh, when they run headfirst into a table, when they can't reach a toy, when they want to go outside, when they want to get in the bath, when they want to get out of the bath, when Ashley walks into the room, when Ashley walks out of the room, they cry. And they cry out with a loud voice, right? They say, ma, or they say, dada, which is sometimes cute. And they, they call Noel too. Noel, their older sister, our, our oldest daughter, they call her, nah. So they'll sometimes, if she's not around, they'll just kind of look around the corner like, nah. So they cry out, right? And they expect to be heard. They expect to be delivered. Their pain isn't always taken away, right? I can't, I can't heal a bumped head. They aren't always given the toy that they so desperately want to swallow whole, right? They aren't always given what they want when they cry out. But what they do get is a response. And what parent wouldn't respond in some way to a child who cries out? You know, in their, in the, in their turmoil, in their fear, a child cries out, I'm alone, no one's here. My mom went to the other room, she's never coming back. And what good caretaker wouldn't respond to those cries for mercy? <laughs> when the psalmist cries out, he's heard. In his turmoil and loneliness and betrayal and anguish, he's heard. When we cry out to the Lord, he hears us. He listens for us to call. He is present with us in the midst of stubbed toes and stubbed woes. He hears our cries for mercy when we need comfort and we need relief. Take refuge that the Lord hears you. He hears you in your hour of need. He does not turn his back on his people. He listens. He does not neglect. He does not overlook. He does not disregard. He does not get annoyed. He hears. And there's hope because God says, I will be present with you in your time of need. Let's look at verses 5 through 11. It says, gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believe even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. In time of anguish and great need, it's not only listening that we need, but what we need is action. When we're out of options, when we have nowhere else to turn, having someone who listens is good, but having a greater power who listens and has the power to act 
is better. In our time of need, the Lord listens to our cries and he acts. He makes moves. He intervenes. He intersects our situations and our lives. The answer to our cries is God's action. It says here that God steps in in his graciousness, in his righteousness, in his mercy and preservation. He saves him. He returns his soul to rest. He deals bountifully with him. He delivers him. His eyes from tears, his feet from stumbling, his, his feet from stumbling. I already said that. Now, again, we don't exactly know the deliverance that is happening. We don't know what it looked like for the author. In many ways, it doesn't matter, right? The specifics for his situation don't matter. But the overt response to his cries for help is an answer of mercy, which brings us back to the original question. How do I respond to God in the midst of my circumstances? How do I trust in the Lord in the season of life that I'm living right now? And I think the unequivocal answer here is belief. Belief that God is truly who he says he is. Faith that God is good. A good God who brings deliverance, rest, preservation, and salvation. When have we seen God deliver us? And where do we need God to deliver us now, today, in the season that we're in now? Is it a poisonous relationship? Is it addiction? Is it apathy? Is it hopelessness? Is it overwhelming circumstances, unmet desires, or shattered dreams? Where do we need the grace and mercy of God's love and care? Now, the question is rather simple, and the the answer is perhaps both the easiest and the hardest thing to do in the life of faith. Are we actively putting our faith in God to overcome our anguish and our afflictions? Do we believe, do we have faith in God's love and in his compassion for us? In 2009, I was living in Los Angeles for the summer, and I was working at a kid's camp up in the hills. And it was a nice camp, very nice camp, very expensive, and they, they treated us well. And uh, uh, there were a handful of celebrity kids there, even, including uh, the son of a, a Middle Eastern prince. There was um, uh, the child of, uh, gosh darn it, who's the, I don't know, I already, I made fun of Jay for doing this a couple weeks ago for not knowing the thing. Who's the, the guitar player that wears the top hat and he was in, uh, not Justin Bieber, what, who? Slash, thank you. Uh, all I could think was Slayer, which is not the same thing. Okay, Slash, he, you know, he, was the, he, he would pull up and drop his kid off, always had the sunglasses on. Man, I'm getting off topic. All right, anyway, so I had a handful of jobs at this camp, right? Okay, including uh, being the recreation coordinator, which is a really fun job to just kind of uh, uh, make up fun games for kids to do outside. The only downside was that it was outside, you know. <laughs> I'm trying to be inside in the summer. Okay, so uh, uh, one, of the, uh, one of the roles that I had at the end of the day, uh, I was the co-dismissal coordinator, okay, which was the best end-of-day job. While everyone else is kind of like wrangling kids and trying to keep them calm uh, in this gyna- gymnasium, me and my coworker Emily, we would sit at this uh, table in the middle of the gym with walkie-talkies, and we would just call people's names uh, when their parents arrived to pick them up. 
So we got to kind of be away from the, the, the chaos. And so we, we, got the, we got the chance to hang out a lot, obviously, every day at work, and, and we would talk. And she wasn't a Christian. She knew that I was in L.A. staying with, like, some Christians and doing some weird Christian stuff. And she was always asking me questions, right? She, and, and, and we got to know each other fairly well. And after a few weeks of working together at the, at the desk together, she asked me a, a relatively simple question. It was not, um, you know, it wasn't this sort of deeply emotional uh, a question of just like, you know, what, what, uh, you know, that feeling. It was just a very simple question. It was, how can I know that God actually exists, right? How can I know that what you believe, you know, what you say is true? How do I, how do I know that to believe in that is real? And we talked about stuff like this very casually, and, and, and this was probably the most forward and direct that she had, had been about it. So I, I, you know, I didn't only do this, but we were in the middle of a conversation, and I, I tore off this little piece of paper uh, from a, a little notebook, and I wrote a prayer on it. And it said, God, if you're real, show yourself to me. That was it. And I gave it to her, and I said, if you really are curious, if you really want to know, then pray this prayer. Pray it every day for, I don't know, a couple weeks, two weeks, a month, whatever. But you have to like, you have to like try to mean it, right? You have to at least like, at least believe the premise a little bit. You know, you got to do it honestly. And what I was suggesting to her was just, just try it, right? If you were calling into a, a room filled with people and you were looking for someone that you had never met before, but maybe you knew their name, right? You could call out to them uh, and, and they would respond, right? You might not be able to find them on your own. Uh, but call out to them. See if, see if they're there, right? And do you know what happened? I don't know. I don't know what happened. We never talked about it again. Now, we talked about a lot of things again, right? We continued to talk about faith and, and, and life and, and, and all kinds of different stuff. But she never got back to me. She never got back to me whether she tried it. And I decided I wasn't going to push her on it. I wasn't going to, you know check in on her helicopter, helicopter the situation. And that's a fairly unsatisfying uh, ending to the story, right? Uh, it doesn't change the fact, however, that without a doubt, the Bible, God's word, his communication to us over and over is filled with an invitation, right? It's filled with invitations to trust in the Lord, he invites us to call upon him. He invites us to rely on him. He invites us to put our faith in him, to have confidence in him. And to all he says, come to me, come. Come to me, you who, you who are weary, laden, and I will give you rest. And that is the overwhelming invitation that is conveyed in the expression of Psalm 116. We don't know the author, we don't know the situation, but we can identify with the writer just the same. Christians have used that phrase a lot before, right? Step out in faith. Just take a step of faith. Step out in faith. It's been used in many different contexts, I'm sure, over the centuries. And God is inviting us in that. God is inviting us to put our faith in him, to step out when things are unknown and to rely that he will give us everything that we need to flourish, 
everything that we need to live life the way that we were created to live it. He promises to preserve us. He promises to deal bountifully with our souls. He promises to deliver our souls from death. He promises to hear us and to act. And our response to these promises is to step out in faith. It's to arrange our lives in such a way that it doesn't work out if we don't trust in him. The Apostle Paul in the New Testament letter to the Corinthians says in 1 Corinthians 3, he says, don't deceive yourself. Okay, if your wisdom, if the wisdom in your life comes from this world, then become a fool in the eyes of the world. Wisdom separated from God is true foolishness. So do not boast in human wisdom. He's encouraging us. He's challenging us. He's inviting us to take a risk. He's inviting us to believe that God can truly deliver us from whatever we are experiencing. And I know that that can sound wildly insensitive or even oversimplified, but the Lord is inviting us to believe that he is listening, that he wants to be present in the midst of whatever we're experiencing, and that he wants to bring deliverance, mercy, love, and salvation to our bodies, to our souls, to our emotions, and to our minds. I recently reconnected with a friend, and it was the first time we had hung out in a long time, and we were catching up, and uh, he had heard that I was a pastor, and he wanted to know about our church and, and hear some of my story, and we talked about church and life and faith stuff, and that's a lot of what pastoring is, just talking about faith stuff. And he was telling me about some hard stuff that he had experienced in the years that we hadn't really uh, kept up or been connected, and uh, we got to the point where he kind of looked at me, and he said, you know, something along the lines of, you know, what am I doing wrong, right? Like, why am I not experiencing this godly life? What am I supposed to do to live a godly life when I still have all these issues, and we ended up talking for the next handful of minutes and to the point where I got to, I got to this point where I asked him, I said, do you realize that God loves you, right? He loves you. He made you. He died for you. Jesus, as God himself, came to this world. He lived a sinless life and sacrificed himself on the cross to overcome the power of sin. And he rose again three days later in victory over death. That God, okay, that God loves you. And he knows you and he offers you salvation and victory to all who believe. And you're still going to mess up. You're still going to go through hard times. You're still going to go through times where you yourself Doubt that he is good or that he knows what's best for you or that he even wants what's best for you. You're going to doubt. And you can't repay all that he has done for you. He invited you into the family, not because of what you bring to the table, but because of what he brought to the table. And those things are true. They're true for him, they're true for me, and they're true for all of us this morning. And so what do we do with that? What do we, how do we respond 
to these truths? How do we respond to God's invitation to God making the first move? This psalm ends in verses 12 through 19. This ending section begins with a rhetorical question. It says, how can I repay God? How, what should I render to God? What should I give back to God? And it's a natural question that we ask ourselves. God is inviting us to believe. He's inviting us to trust in him. He's, he's challenging us. He's inviting us. He's, he's encouraging us to take a risk, to rely on him, to rely on him by faith for our satisfaction, for our fulfillment, for our deliverance, for our salvation. And like the psalmist here testifies, what if we actually did that? What if we actually had faith in him? What if we actually called upon the Lord? If we believed that he heard us, believed that he acts, believed that he saves us? How do we respond to God's invitation? What should we concern ourselves with? These closing verses portray a man, it portrays a a believer, part of the community, who embraces the simple means of grace. God gives us means of experiencing his grace and love for us. This closing passage, verses 12 through 19, they convey someone who prays, someone who calls out to the Lord in times of deliverance and in times of difficulty. It portrays someone who experiences God's grace by connecting relationally, both in a corporate worship sense and also interpersonally in the community. It portrays someone who participates in God's mission through service, someone who expresses thankfulness, someone who lifts up God's faithfulness and work over their own. And today and every day is an opportunity for us to experience that grace that God extends to us. It's an opportunity to accept the invitation. God invites us to believe. He invites us to participate, not because he wants to enact these these strict rules that are going to limit our enjoyment of life, but rather because he is our loving and sovereign father. He knows what's best for us. He knows how we can best experience peace and joy and liberation and contentment. We're invited to walk by faith. He invites us to experience him and his grace, not just one time, not just the first time that you believe, but continually. He invites us us to experience it in the community of the church. He invites us to experience it in encouraging and healthy friendships, right, to communicate with him in prayer, to serve others with our time and care, to allow ourselves to be cared for, to experience his story and his character in the words of the Bible, to tangibly perceive his mercy in the taking of communion, to participate in the worship gatherings. All of these things are laid out for us. They're for us to experience him in honest, real personal, and communal ways. And that's not by faking it. It's not by pretending that we have everything together. It's not by turning these religious experience into things that we just need to check off our list every week. 
It's not by acting out without any true engagement or following blindly, right, without acknowledging uncertainties and our doubts. Those aren't the things that God is inviting us to. So this morning, I want to challenge myself and all of us to respond to God's invitation. Respond to God in faith and belief. Call out to him when you are in need. Call out to him in thankfulness when you aren't. In delivering, in in, in differing life circumstances, trust in his deliverance from the difficulties and for our salvation. Embrace the the means of grace that God has given to us, not so that we can repay him or that we can twist his arm, right, to get him to do what we want him to do but embrace the means of God's grace so that we can experience the love and care that he has for us. Take hope in whatever season of life that you're in, be it needy or flourishing, that this is not all that there is. What we see and what we experience with our five senses is not all that there is in this life. For those who are in the family of faith, there is always an ear inclined to you when you call out to the Lord. And if you aren't in the family of faith, if you don't believe in Christ, if God is not your father, then the encouragement is the same. Look around you and ask yourself, what are you putting your hope in? Do you need salvation? Do you need deliverance? Are you in need of grace and mercy and love and care from something greater? If so, there's always an ear inclined to you when you call out to the Lord. He does not turn his back on those who call out to him in need. We worship a God who cares about his creation, us, his people, and the world around us. He's a loving God who desires to care for us, who wants us to flourish, who listens, who acts, who delivers us, and who invites us to trust him for our entire lives. Our shortcomings, our doubts, our everything our entire selves. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you this morning for the assurance that you give to us, the comfortability that we can have, the understanding that we are accepted, that we're cared for, Lord, that You are the giver of life. You are the giver of salvation. No one can take us away from that. No one can snatch your people out of your hand. And Lord, I just ask you that you would give us hope in that deliverance, that you would let us understand what it means to trust, what it means to have faith, what it means to believe. Lord, we ask you to give us the faith that we need to believe. Amen.